Hello! A very warm welcome to this first episode of A Language I Love Is, a podcast all about language, linguistics, and love. I am your host, Danny, and to kick off, you and I are off to the lowlands of Scotland to join my friend, Sarah van Eindhoven, and learn about the Scots language. Just like the countries of Scotland and England, Scots has a long and complicated history with its close linguistic cousin, English. So thankfully, Sarah is on hand to untangle that history and guide us through it, from the origins of Scots to the present day and into the future of the language. I really enjoyed recording this, so I really hope you enjoy it too. First, uh, for this inaugural episode of uh, of the podcast, I have the absolute pleasure to be here with uh, my friend Sarah van Eindhoven. Uh, thank you so much for helping me out and for uh, volunteering as, as guinea pig for this, um, for audio guinea pig. Um, it's much appreciated. And as a, as a brief bio, uh, Sarah is a recently finished PhD student at the University of Edinburgh. Edinburgh being the great and beautiful city in Scotland. And that is, you know, I, the ideal place for Sarah to do her research, which is on the Scots language. Before we get on to the questions, you know, I want to hear your thoughts and uh, everything about your relationship to Scots. But before we get on to that, I think it is best that we set the scene with this language. And we're using the L word, you know, explicitly and, you know, purposefully. But there is a little bit of controversy. And I think with Scots, could you, in, you know, just briefly, tell us... The Scots language, where does it come from, and what's its relationship to the other languages of Great Britain? Right. Um, so, Scots comes from English. Uh, it is They share the same parent language, essentially. They both come from Old English. And Scots have essentially developed from Northern English, which spread into Scotland in the sort of 12th century Um and then it went on to develop into a distinct national language. So it underwent several changes that were distinct or different from the uh, languages and varieties that were spoken south of the border mm-hmm. um, and uh, eventually developed into uh, what we would call Scots around the sort of 14th century and mm-hmm. really developed its own character. But because it has this shared origin with English, um, you know, there is a bit of controversy over whether it's a language or a dialect. And that kind of stems down to also how you define a language, right? That thorny question that we all uh, like to discuss from time to time in yes. linguistics. It's, it's a staple of every linguistics department as well. And yeah, it, Scots would be a great example of this debate, right? Exactly. But this, this goes far beyond the walls of a linguistics department. Uh, this is something that I think maybe everyone in Scotland has an opinion on. Um, yeah. So, what then would you say is, how, in, as a metaphor, could we say that Scots are in, and English are cousins, sisters? What would, how would you describe the relationship between the two today? So, this is the other interesting thing. I think the relationship between Scots and English has changed as well. So, there's not this sort of one uniform parallel relationship where Scots kind of diverged from Northern English went on to develop into a distinct language, and that's where it stayed. Hmm. Its its whole history has been marked by these processes of uh, divergence and convergence. Mm-hmm. So we see that around the beginning of the 
um, sort of the middle of the 16th century, beginning of the 17th, it starts to become much more influenced by English again mm -hmm. and moves closer towards it. So I think it's maybe they started off as sisters, spent a period of time as cousins, became sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and because they were related languages, that process was in some ways um, assisted. Um, so, you know, a lot of people often compare Scots and English to the Scandinavian languages like mm -hmm. Swedish and Norwegian um, or between Dutch and German um, in the sense that they have a large common ground of mm -hmm. items that are shared between both languages, um, but they also have distinct elements and uh, speakers of either one won't necessarily uh, understand the other if they're at the far end of it. No, no. But they are also, it's, it's a good comparison because they are also very much caught up in each other's history. Sometimes the Swedes are on top, sometimes the Danes are on top, and the Norwegians are you know, maintaining, trying to maintain their independence as well. So it's complicated. It's all bound up in each other. Yes. What is the situation with Scots today? So today, uh, the way that it's kind of been described uh, in the linguistic field is that there is this Scots SSE bipolar continuum. And SSE means Scottish Standard English. So that's English that is spoken with sort of Scots phonology and certain Scots words in it, but it's, it's you know, we would understand it. It's mm. what's spoken in Edinburgh and the Parliament, on the news, etc. Right. You know, yeah. um, very standard. So of someone who speaks that, for example? Um, Nicola Sturgeon. Nicola Sturgeon, great. Okay, um, yeah. So that's you have that sort of on one end of the spectrum, and then we have broad Scots on the other end. And broad Scots is kind of this uh, two-faced kind of um, identity. You have rural Scots that's sort of spoken mostly by older speakers in places like Aberdeenshire, um, uh, which is you know quite dialectal, quite strong. I would struggle to understand it, for example. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then you also have urban working-class Scots, like you get in Glasgow, Norwegian mm. Scots, which um, you know some people look down upon as the bad Scots. You know, because it's not the the, the beautiful rural Scots from Robbie Burns, but it's its own kind of um, vernacular, I guess, mm -hmm. that's spoken, especially amongst working-class speakers um, and also younger speakers as well. Mm -hmm. um, that you get sort of in. Um, Dundee and Glasgow, for example. Right, okay. And speakers can kind of shift up and down on the spectrum. So, um, you know, that will be limited to a certain extent to, to like what community that they operate in and also the importance that they attach to speaking of the variety. But it's argued that, you know, as with the, as we've seen before in other sort of linguistic studies, when people pay more attention to their speech, they might shift towards a more polite form or if they find themselves in a social setting that requires kind of a more standard language, they will sort of move towards that. So then these speakers might move towards the SSE side of the continuum. Whereas if they're amongst their local community, if they're just in the home, you know, speaking with their family or for, you know, or maybe because for their own identity purposes, they might move towards a broader right. source. Okay. So we have variation across the geography of Scotland, mm -hmm. variation across the history of Scotland, but also within individuals. Yeah. I mean, no wonder that the Scots language is such a sort of fertile ground for sociolinguistics, right? For really getting into how people are using their language in their interactions with one another. It's very complex. 
this is fantastic. So yeah, and it's very, very fitting that you should be in here in Edinburgh, which um, Edinburgh University, I imagine, is quite a hub for Scots research. Uh, yeah, 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 it has been. I think uh, it's uh, when I started, there was a little bit of a lull because um, some of the Scots research had recently moved to Glasgow. <laughs> right. um, okay. But uh, now it's picking up again, and now I, there are several people working on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a point of uh, terminology, or perhaps etymology. This word Scots, perhaps it's confusing, it might be confusing to people because it looks like a plural noun, like it's the Scots, the Scottish people. But that's not the case. It's specifically, this is an adjective with an adjective ending. Is that right? So in the same way that English is from the Angles, Scots, or I suppose in, in, in English, we might say Scotch. That's the, is that a fair comparison? Exactly. Yeah. So Scots was, uh, in, in Scots was, um, Originally Scottish, mm. um, which yeah is and English was English, right? Right, and then Engl- uh, the S became sh in English, and in Scots instead uh, the uh, I became a schwa and then disappeared. So it, basically, the the I disappeared and we just lived with Scots. Oh, fantastic! It's just to my to my English brain. As soon as I learned that fact, or I learned the history of the word, everything sort of fitted into place a bit better. Yeah. Because my brain goes, no, that's a plural. And, you know, the Scots language, and you think, hang on, you can't have plurals in compounds, and it's that. No, it's not. It's an adjective, but the adjective that can also be used as a, as a noun. Yes. Meaning the language. Fantastic. I mean, I do have to say, I don't know to what extent people listening to this are aware of this, but there are two languages in Scotland other than English, and the other one is, of course, Scottish Gaelic. Mm. Um, So we do talk about the Scottish languages, but you can't say that Scottish Gaelic is Scots. That's separate. Very, very, very different. And that's like, we talk about the continuum between English and Scottish English and Scots. Gaelic is just separate. It's a Celtic language. It's doing its own thing. Exactly. Traditionally spoken in the the highlands and western isles you know a different geographic area yeah. so scots are spoken in the lowlands and in the northeast and up in orkney and shetland whereas mm. uh, the highland area and the islands is scottish gaelic so that's that's doing its own thing amazing oh, scottish linguistic history is fascinating and complicated as well just oh, yeah. to get a handle on That brings me nicely on to the first question. I'm very keen to get to know what's your relationship with Scots? Um, where does it begin? Where does this interest come from? And what have you done with this language? Tell us a, tell us a bit more about, you know, yourself and Scots. Okay. Well, my sort of, um, uh, stumbling upon Scots was a complete accident, really. Um, I, I don't have Scottish roots. Nobody in my family can trace back any ancestry to Scots, so it wasn't like that ever stimulated an interest. And even though there is a sort of large um, expat Scottish community in New Zealand, that wasn't it either. In fact, it was simply that in my fourth year at university, I needed to pick a dissertation topic. And one of our lecturers in the department was Scottish, mm-hmm. and she had postcards on her door written in Scots. And I noticed that a lot of the words on there were really um, similar or and had almost the same meaning as a word in Dutch. Right. And I bilingual speak English and Dutch. Parents are Dutch. So I thought, oh, interesting. I wonder if there is a connection between these two languages. Because, for example, you have keek in Scots, which means uh, look. Mm. Um, uh, and we have a similar word in Dutch, cake. Okay. Um, 
And so I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder if there's a connection. So I approached her saying, you know, could I, could I look at this as a dissertation topic? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it started. And then we didn't end up following that line of inquiry because we couldn't really find much and somebody had already done quite a detailed descriptive analysis. Mm-hmm. And so she said, you know, I can't really help you if you want to study that, but if you want to look at something else in Scots, we can do that instead. And by this point, I'd been doing a bit of background reading and thought, oh, this is quite a fascinating language. So I decided, why not? So I did my honours dissertation on uh, Scots. I looked at middle Scots there. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I decided I needed a break. So I went off on what we call our big OE, so our overseas experience in New Zealand, where you go for a long period of time because everywhere else is very far away and very expensive. So if you're going to go, you might as well go for a long time. Um, right, okay. So I took mm. off for a year with a friend and we traveled and volunteered and worked around Europe. And then about eight months in, I came to Scotland and I just instantly fell in love with the place. Uh, I landed in Edinburgh at about midnight, uh, which normally I wouldn't like very much, but I just immediately felt at home here. Yeah. Uh, I just really loved it. And then while I was here, I heard Scots being spoken, and that was the first time I'd actually heard it really being spoken out loud. I'd only looked at it historically in, in written form, and I just thought it was beautiful, mm. and I loved it. Um, and then while I was here, the um, Brexit referendum had happened, and people were talking about it a lot in Scotland, and that got me thinking about this connection between politics and identity and language use. And so when I went back to New Zealand, I decided to do a master's in that, except I wanted to compile my own resources. And I discovered just how tricky that is when you're on the other side of the world. Yes. And so that's what brought me here to do a PhD where I can literally walk down the street to the National Library and just access all the letters and correspondence I need. Yeah. So in that that way, you are in the perfect place. I am. Fantastic. And so this interplay between politics and Scots language, that is the the nexus, that's the nub of your PhD. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Superb. Okay. And the PhD took how long? It took four years and three months. Four years and three months. Okay, so you, you're familiar with Scots, you could say. Yes. Super. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've been working on it for a while now. Right. Okay, that brings me nicely onto the second question. We've set you up as someone who spent a lot of time with the Scots language. And if you have to pick one, I know it's hard. But what is something that you love about this language? What would you like to, you know, share your love for? Oh, I mean, that's such a tricky, um, tricky one to answer. I think what I love about the language is how strongly connected it is to the history of this country and its people. You know, it's the language of folklore and ballads and folk songs. It's, it's the language that was used and written down, at least we know it was in use because it was already being written down in the 13th century and even in legal tracts instead of Latin. It has a long um, literary history as well. It's still the language that's spoken today. It's spoken in the home. Most people don't know that they're speaking it. In fact, most people think it's just slang or bad English. But I just think it's a, a, a beautiful language that has also defied the odds. So even though it has become much more heavily influenced by English than it than it was back in, say, the 15th century. Um, and even though it still struggles for recognition, even amongst its speakers, it never died out. So we could imagine that after the unification of 
uh, England and Scotland under the Union of the Parliaments in 1707, which kind of created uh, the United Kingdom, that Scots would slowly disappear and everybody would just move to English. But that didn't happen. I mean, that was more than 300 years ago. Scots is still being spoken. It's still being written down. People know Robbie Burns all over the world. There's a statue of him in New Zealand, for goodness sakes. So, you know, I think the language is incredibly resilient. And I think it's, in many ways, it reflects the sort of uh, resilience and this sort of rugged beauty of Scotland and, and also the people. Right, yes. And yeah. how perhaps it's, can we, its progress and its history can be almost counterintuitive, right? Mm-hmm. That Scottish history is hard to predict, I think, the way it goes. So, yeah, no, that's a very good point. And so would you say that Rabbi Burns would be the most famous Scottish writer and speaker? Anybody else that we might have heard of? Um, I mean, Sir Walter Scott used uh, Scott's dialect in his novels mm-hmm. to portray certain characters. Um, and then you've got the sort of the, the famous three poets. You've got Robbie Burns, uh, Robert Ferguson, and Alan Ramsey. They're all quite well known. Um, James Hogg, Robert Louis Stevenson. Mm. You know, they would use elements of it uh, to represent dialect or, you know, if they were writing songs or poetry. So these are some of the ones, the greats that um, people will know, Hugh McDonald as well. Right, yeah. 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 But that makes sense, but I suppose but they might have had a lot of it in their everyday lives. The majority of their written work, well, that's, that's written, and that's intended to be sold to a large English-speaking audience, but it, it's still part of them. Mm-hmm. We just might not see it all the time. Okay, so we're now in a position to answer the third question, the third of my three. And this is a question, this is an opportunity for you to just wax lyrical, okay? Uh, you can be as passionate or as neutral, as calm as you like, but what is something that you want people to know about Scots? This is your opportunity. Tell us, what should we know? Okay, well, I think, firstly, I would say... It's a language. Um, I think it is a language anyway. It uh, has a long sort of historical uh, background. It's still being spoken today. It. I always find it a bit sad when I speak to people and they, you know, this carries over maybe from what their parents were told when they were in school. They see it as slang or bad English and it's not. It's and not. I think it's beautiful and you know cherish it and uh and you know if you speak it great keep speaking it don't give it up sure sure. don't let anybody tell you that it's it's lesser or anything like that so i certainly uh would disagree with that Mm -hmm. um and i think the other thing that a lot of people don't know is is where it comes from and it it does have a really interesting history and i i know i work on historical scots so of course i have acquired more information than, than the average person. Mm. But I think if you've got the time, go and uh, have a look at, there's some, you know, great resources out there in the National Library, for example, um, or there'll be various pages online because there are quite a few quite committed sort of groups that, that try to explain this a bit more in everyday layman's terms. Go and have a little read about it because it's fascinating and maybe then you kind of understand as it's, it helps you, I think, to understand as well why we consider it a language and why it's, you know, how it came to be, why it's spoken in this part of the country. Mm, mm. No, that makes sense. I think that's a really nice point. And people are working to make it accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, within the UK, uh, I'm thinking especially of Welsh 
Scottish Gaelic, we're seeing very visible efforts at revitalization. Yeah. So, you know, very brief trip to Scotland will, you know, go visit any station and you'll see the station names in uh, English and Scottish Gaelic. Yeah. And this is very much being promoted by the Scottish government in Holyrood. But what's the relationship now like between revitalization, Scottish politics and Scots? Is it is it missing out on this great effort? Um is it is that because it's looked down upon? Is that because it's not different enough? Whereas Scottish Gaelic really is very different, being Celtic, one you know, one Celtic, the other Germanic. What would you say about um the future of Scots? Mm-hmm. So I think that last point that you raised really hits the nail on the head. Uh one of the tricky things is this whole distinction. And so even though there are more Scots speakers in Scotland than Scottish Gaelic, by quite a margin, um, Scottish Gaelic, I think, receives more sort of, um, it's it's more recognizably different. Hmm. And so therefore the revitalization efforts have that on their side to help them out. Um, I don't know in terms of resources spent on it or anything like that because I'm not so focused on present-day Scots how the how it's divvied up between the languages, but I do know that those efforts are um in some sense uh progressing more than than the than Scots simply because of this nature. Um, you know, it's got this very distinct nature and a very sort of clear geographical area um where they can focus their efforts first and foremost that aren't in major urban centres which have a lot of conflicting demands on speakers too. Edinburgh, for example, as you know, it's a very international city um, and it also re- receives a lot of people from across the border. And so revitalization efforts there are always going to have to work against that tide as well. Um, there's a lot of positive movement out there. There are different campaigns um, and the SNP, I think, uh, who is a power at the moment, is quite sort of open or receptive to um, promoting Scots, but in terms of actual steps being taken, it's it's still a slow progress. So there are some Scots medium schools, right. uh, particularly up in uh, the northeast. Great. Um, right. And uh, you know, there's I'm not sure if it's uh, completely gone through yet, but there's definitely been talk of, of uh, incorporating Scots into universities and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are steps being made, but it also relies fundamentally on people recognizing that it is a language and, you know, because this is also an issue is that you then sometimes get some kickback from people saying, you know, what are you doing? Right. This isn't a language. This is just a dialect we speak in the home. I, you know, should we go and, you know, try and um, legitimize or formalize all the dialects in England, blah, 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 this kind of thing. Yeah. So. I think more education and like awareness is probably also needed to help with that. Awareness, changing attitudes, and just helping Scots to escape out from underneath the shadow of English. Mm-hmm. It's such a force in Scotland to this day. So, yeah, but you would say you're optimistic for the future of Scots? I think, yes, I am actually. And a lot of people aren't. But I think 300, more than 300 years ago, uh, we thought that the union of the parliaments was the nail in the coffin. And yet, Scots are still around today. It's surprisingly resilient. Um, I still, you know, I hear it spoken on the street. 
I hear it when I hop on a bus in Glasgow because I have no idea what the bus driver is saying to me. <laughs> and I hear it when I'm out walking in, uh, in, in various parts of the islands as well. So I think, you know, if it's stuck around for that long, uh, it's, it's probably not just going to disappear overnight or anytime soon. So, yeah, I think maybe. Super. Well, it's very nice to end on an optimistic note as well after all of this. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. It's, it's just, this is brilliant. Okay, and really, really a nice way to kick off the whole thing. So, uh, thank you very much. To round off this first episode is Danny's Fun Facts. This short final section is my chance to share some linguistic tidbits of my own, which may or may not be related to the preceding interview. Today, my fun fact is related, since it concerns Scots. Specifically, it's about the development of a particular sound in Scots dialects. As Sarah mentioned, Scots developed out of Old English, and some words in Old English started with the sound ch, as in what, meaning what, or chwana, meaning when. This ch sound has since gone on different journeys across what became the dialects of English and Scots. In English, it usually became ch which you can still hear in certain varieties of English today, in Scottish, Irish and American pronunciations like what, wheel, white and why. In many other varieties, like my own, it's since merged with the sound w. Hence I say what, wheel, white and why. Yet, in Doric Scots, spoken in northeastern Scotland, it followed another path. It became f. Hence, if you're ever in Aberdeen, you might hear the following Scots cognates of English what, who, when, and where. Fit, fa, fan, and far. <laughs>